And welcome everyone to another episode of the Italian Football Daily Podcast. I'm Patrick Stoll alongside Matt Santangelo and Joe Sirocco at Stoll underscore P, at Matt underscore Santangelo, and at Joe Antonio C. So you can get a hold of us and of course at Italian FD. What words are there to describe the week that we just experienced in European football? And these Serie A teams, if I told you that one out of three Serie A teams advanced into the next round of European competition, given the results last week, I bet you wouldn't have believed me if I said it was Roma. It's been quite a week with Roma, an epic comeback, there are no other words to describe it, against FC Barcelona advancing 4-4 with away goals, that one goal at the Camp Nou proving absolutely crucial and Juve going down 4-3 to Real Madrid thanks to a very controversial Cristiano Ronaldo penalty, a red card to Gigi Buffon since the old lady out of the Champions League at the hands of the two-time defending champions, and Lazio, RB Salzburg in the Europa League, and they just completely choked that away. They are out of the Europa League, so Roma into the semifinals of the Champions League. Juventus, Lazio, go home. This is where I'll bring my co-hosts Joe and Matt in. Joe, I want to start with you as a Juventus fan, and I mean this in uh, the nicest way possible. Um, Are you okay? Uh, Thanks for having me, Patrick. Yeah, I think I've recovered. I got over 24 hours, so I think I've I've kind of settled down. but, uh, but yeah, you're right. What a an, an unbelievable a roller coaster of emotions, to say the least. Uh, pins and needles for for Juve fans, uh, but it, all football fans in general. I think we've seen in this week with Roma Juventus, uh, the two games, like the Roma Barca game, the Real Juve game. This has probably been the craziest match day in Champions League history, and the two of the most exciting weeks probably in in all sport. And uh, I'll begin to say, uh, and and I know. I was uh, very critical of Juve on our last podcast last week. Uh, if you haven't checked that out, check out my rant on episode 15. Um, I called them out for being weak and for uh, for not trying and that they would need a, a huge effort to, to get through. And you know what? They were so close, so heartbreakingly, crushingly close. They played the perfect game uh, to get back and, and tie that match. I mean, Juve started off with a bang. First minute, they did what they had to do. You, if down in a three nothing hole, you got to get an early goal, and they did it. Manzukic, who didn't play in the last game, obviously Dybala was suspended for this one. Uh, I think Max Allegri really got his formation right, uh, proving that you know it's all uh, Allegri haters and to Juve fans. Once again, he is one of the best coaches in the world. Early one nil victory, and Juve did not look nerved. I'm so proud of them for. I'm really really proud of them for 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 being brave and for believing in themselves to come back. And, you know, then it was 2-0. Another header for Mandzukic, who was just so clutch in the Champions League. And the first guy, I think, uh, to score three straight goals on uh, on Real Madrid. And the, the first player, I think, ever to have scored two goals in the first half at the Bernabeu ever in, in the 65, 66-year history of this tournament. So 2-0 at that point. And then 3-0 after 60 minutes, Matuidi on a terrible, uh, what we call nearly una papera, a blunder by um, 
Kaylor Navas uh, drops a ball in front of Matuidi who extends and gets it in. Uh, shocking goalkeeping, but what a what a play from Matuidi to keep at it. And, he, and the guy has always been known to make runs, but in this game without Dybala up there, I think the Juventus players were able to actually get in and run, and they were uh, able to make those runs in. And and they were I think were Madrid that really threw Madrid off because they were getting bodies, and especially Manzukic, a tall guy uh, who really was bothering Carvajal, and they really were missing Sergio Ramos, which I pointed out last week would have been their Achilles heel because he's their leader and best defender and it showed uh, with him lacking or missing on the field. And then it was 3-0 with 30 minutes left. The Bernabeu was stunned. It was silence. Juventus was playing the perfect game and then Real Madrid was turning, coming on and Juventus was so brave, so resolute in their defending, withstanding onslaught after onslaught. Uh, Gigi Buffon, vintage Buffon, he was so sharp in this game making some key saves, just managing the game. And then in the 92nd minute, it all went to hell. Uh, just and I, like a, the, the most dramatic 30 seconds you'll ever see in a football match. Cross comes in, CR7 gets ahead to it. And a very contentious penalty call. Um, Benatia coming around, hitting Lucas Vasquez. He goes down. Penalty is awarded. Very dubious penalty. And we'll discuss that shortly. To make a decision that in that moment for a referee like that, an inexperienced referee, you got to have character. And unfortunately, this guy, Michael Oliver, I hate to say it, but didn't show that character of what it takes for a referee in a big match like that to make a call that big. He wasn't even sure himself, but made the call. Gigi Buffon argues, gets a red card, and we'll discuss whether or not he deserved that red card. But I'll go ahead and say, started off with my opinion. As a captain of the team, he has the right to talk to the referee and it appears that he was he pushed the guy in the back. He was just trying to reach over him and try to talk to him. In the heat of the moment to give Gigi Buffon, and it doesn't even matter if it was just him, but to give a guy a straight red, I don't care what he said. He, I mean, if he cursed his mother and swore death on his children, I, I highly doubt it from a guy like Gigi. But you give the guy a chance to talk to you. Give him a yellow, if anything. But a red card was just it's too harsh. Uh, in that moment... And it's not like any other sport. You got to take into account so much is at stake. The stakes and the tensions are at all time high. This is a captain, one of the legends of the game, getting a, a dubious call right in front of him, and he's of course he's going to be emotional. And then you know the referee panicked and gives gives a red card, and then up steps Penaldo and scores the goal. Obviously he's going to score. He's the best in the world taking penalties. And then Real Madrid celebrate as if they won the World Cup as if they deserved the win, which they had played a, a terrible game. And I was just gutted for the for for those boys in that room. They deserve to go on, uh, go through after that performance. Because it, it takes balls, and it takes a skill. Not just any team can come into the Bernabeu and score three goals on the, on the defending world champions and pretty much run them out of their own building where they have to win on a, on a penalty, of course. And uh, I, I don't want to sound like a sore loser, but... This is just like when Juventus gets all the calls in Serie A. Real Madrid seems to get the calls in this tournament. It seems to be their tournament, just like Serie A's Juventus' tournament. You know, last year against Bayern, they got a clear offside goal. CR7 again. He gets through, and, and Bayern is eliminated. Now this one, too. It, it's a win. They go through, but with an asterisk. And you know what? I'm not ashamed. I'm so proud of Juventus. And I think for Serie A in Italian football... What a performance from, from Roma as well, but Juventus as well to fight back and not giving up. But saying that, 
I think that what I said last week on the podcast of Juve changing their management, I still think that needs to happen, but but it, it's comforting to know that they, they gave it their all in that game. Was it a penalty? Was it a red card? What do you think? Well, first off, I think, you know, Joe, you know, hit it, hit the nail on the head. I think, you know, you know, from a Juve, Juventus fan's perspective, I think he he was spot on with his analysis of the game, his his overall vision of what actually happened, and um, and very level headed, I must say. Exactly, and I think that's kind of the difficult. Maybe if you know we were doing this last night, and I think you know we were initially talking about doing it last night for all those listening, but I think you know given the the, the way that game ended, I think it was better for us to kind of mold this one over, sit on it for a day. And then to kind of revisit it a day after. So I think, you know, again, hats off to uh, Joe and a lot of the level-headed Juventus fans who are really not lashing out at people, but they're kind of giving it just their eyewitness view of what they saw, what they feel that um, was was not a penalty. And I think for me, again, for those who follow me, I, I feel that it, it I think it was a penalty, but I think it was one of those cases where it was too soft for me, where if, if it wasn't called, I would have said fair play. I think given the situation, given the time of the game, again, of course, given the, um, the, the high stakes, high tension, as Joe mentioned, I think I would have been okay with the fact that a referee not calling that because I think you, at some points you try to let the guys, the players decide the game and not let the managers be the, 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 the face or the controversy for better or for worse in this sort of, in sort of, a, sort of match, when, especially when you have these two big teams, right? So I feel like the, the call was, I think, in my opinion, I think it was the right call ultimately. But again, I feel that the referee wouldn't have been wrong either to have said, I'm going to let this play out. I think, you know, let this go into extra time. I think it would have been a fair um, no call to make, given the fact that I think that Vasquez, he wasn't getting bulldozed, in my opinion. Yes, Benatia, I think, to his discredit, Juventus' defensive effort on that specific play, they left a ton of space in that box in front of Buffon. And if you actually look at it in a little bit more like a, a deeper look at the actual area of where the actual action happened, you would see that the defense, the defensive work from Juve was non-existent in that area. There's too much space open, and I think that's what kind of led Benatia to have to have to come in with pace and a lot more urgency to kind of break up the play because you saw Ronaldo crossing the ball in with Vasquez, but pretty much all alone by himself, which is Buffon to beat. So I think if he Benatia looking back, if he was a little bit closer and was really just marking him, and then he went down, I think there would be a lot more case for it to be made that saying this is not a penalty he's marking a guy went down softly but when you see a guy like Benatia come in who minutes earlier ran into the midfield and he kind of had a little bit of an aggressive tackle um I think he got a yellow card on as well I forgot who was maybe on Isco or Cruz to see a guy come in with that much pace and look and then to make some contact I could see where the referee was looking at and saying okay he's coming in a little bit too aggressive too hard that's where they, I think, ultimately he kind of went with the, 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 the to call the penalty. Having said that, I think, you know, we're, if we're going to talk on the on, on the topic of VAR and whether it should be implemented or not, because I know we're going to get to this and we're probably going to continue to talk about it in next in the next upcoming podcast, I think it's obvious that it, you have to implement it. You, you know, you look at the fact that there's going to be VAR at the World Cup and, you know, you look at the stakes of what those tor- that tournament has for a nation. But when you look at the Champions League, the money that's at stake for some of these clubs, the importance of not just, this is not just a game, one game, and it's okay, they bow out. There's a lot of money that's lost from Juve with this match, you know, whether they deserved or not deserved to go through is another thing, but overall, there's a lot of money and there's a lot of things involved here where if a wrong call is made, it can really cost a team, and I think that's what really has to be looked into. Every All these leagues are doing it, or most, several leagues are doing it. Serie A has it, although it's not polished and it's not maybe as accurate or down to the down to the 
T where it should be. I think we're seeing strides. We're seeing some, you know, progression with the technology that we have. But I think overall, you know, at the at the end of the season, video re, video assisted replay has to be looked at. It has to be strongly considered, and ultimately, it has to be implemented one hundred percent. I'm just gonna say that I mean, whether it was a penalty or not, I think like just seeing them from multiple angles, it could have gone either way. But I would have liked to see another set of eyes just in case, it just even if it took seven, because it was going to take seven minutes anyways for them to, by the time they stopped complaining and, and hounding the referee, it wouldn't have killed them to have another guy look at it. And, and the fifth official on the sideline is, the, I mean, I wish I had a job like the fifth official in the Champions League where you, you're paid to do absolutely nothing. Where you just sit there, yeah. The most useless position of, of any official in any sport on the face of the earth, the guy is useless. Put in VAR in this. First of all, the Champions League is the greatest tournament in all of sport. Not better than the World Cup, better than any North American sport, that's for sure. you got to have the VAR system because there's so much at stake financially, but also for prestige as well. So VAR, I, and they're not going to do it next year because the, the, uh, the vice president of UEFA said he wasn't going to do it. But I think it's, it's coming. It has to come in this kind of a tournament uh, just to have another set of eyes. And even for the red card as well, to have another set of eyes to kind of see that as well. But definitely something that has to be implemented in the in the greatest tournament in the world. It has to be in there. If it's in the World Cup, it's got to be in the Champions League. I don't even know where to start because there are so many talking points. First of all, I think it's very unfortunate that the story of the game is the penalty and the red card instead of the inspired performance that Juventus put on through the entire game completely aside from the fact that they didn't make it into the semifinal round if Juventus had advanced they would have 100% deserved it not to say that Real Madrid does not deserve it I think they're the better side and I think the better team ended up advancing I don't love the way they got there just like last year when the offside goal was allowed, I think the better side went through, but I don't love how that happened. And I guess sometimes that just happens. That is a case for VAR. I'll circle back to that in a second. It's unfortunate that Buffon went out of the Champions League like that. I say that as someone who is not a Juventus fan, I say that as someone who watches football and enjoys the sport. It is a shame to see Buffon go out like that. I think, and maybe this is a hot take, I think it was a red card. I just think, and here's why. Because FIFA pro referees established points of emphasis at the beginning of the season. And one of those was abusing the referee, coming up and confronting the referee. That was a huge point of emphasis because it happens more and more everywhere. And it's unbearable where all these people go in front of the referee and da-da-da-da-da. Oh my god. That's why they've been giving out so many cards about it. Along with that point of emphasis was diving. So those are two of the points of emphasis that you've seen tackled more and more. And this was an English referee, which means... In the Premier League, you've seen some of these yellow cards. I'm not sure about straight reds. I don't have that statistic. But the way that Buffon went up to him, first of all, I 100% understand 
why Buffon would act the way he did. Because it is the biggest game of Juventus' season. They are fighting tooth and nail. They almost have it. And then this happens right in front of Buffon. I have no problem with how he reacts. However, that doesn't make the way that he reacted acceptable to the official. I have no idea what Buffon said. I know that Michael Oliver is an English referee, and I know that Buffon speaks pretty decent English. However, I'm not a lip reader, and I don't know what he said. I've heard some people say that it's not clean for air, obviously, because it was the heat of the moment. I get it. However, if you make contact with a referee, you're going to get a card. And unfortunately, he made contact with the referee. I don't think the red card changed the outcome of the game. I only think that it made it more controversial. The penalty. It was a penalty. I'm sorry, it was a penalty. That you can directly blame on Benatia and his positioning. There was no reason for, if Vasquez was in the spot he was in, for Benatia to have to come in, like Matt said, with that pace and with that urgency, he should have had that man marked. And since he went in with that urgency and that pace, he led himself into a position where he knocked down the attacker and he kicked, if he was, I've heard multiple defenders talk about this play, and I've watched, I don't know how many times, he comes up behind him, and first of all, he's straight up beat. Second of all, he tries to put his leg around Vasquez and ends up kicking him in the chest, and his leg is under Vasquez's arm. And in my mind, if that had happened in midfield, it would have been called a foul, which means if it's a foul in the midfield, it's a foul in the box. and. If it's a foul in the box, it's a penalty. A foul in the box is a penalty no matter the time or the day. Unfortunately, I do believe it was a foul in the box, which by the rule of law, if you make, I believe the word is reckless or careless contact within the box, that is a foul and a penalty. I originally thought that the red card was going to Benatia because he went right up to the official when it was called. You could see him making contact with the referee. You could see him giving the referee the business, for lack of a better term. I thought that the red card was on Benatia. As the offender, too, you'd expect it to come from him. And, and ver- versus Buffon, who really he's not sense. accustomed to getting to that yep. intensity level. Exactly. We, we saw something of Buffon that we had not really seen before, which tells me that the way Buffon saw it Buffon wasn't trying to lie. Buffon saw it and didn't think that it was a that it called for a penalty, which I can understand. But once you make contact with the referee, your case of not getting a red card is gone. Another thing, this does not tarnish the legacy of Gianluigi Buffon in any matter. The only thing that you can say about Gianluigi Buffon is that he hasn't won a Champions League. Full stop, that's it. He is a class act, he got caught in the heat of the moment, and he got pissed. And that's it. You don't need to say, oh, it tarnishes his legacy. He's going out in disgrace. He's not, okay? I didn't appreciate the comments he was making to the press after, such as the, uh, the referee has the, has the sensibility of a garbage bin. Really? Like, that's unnecessary. Again, I get it, because now he's just mad. But I'm sure he's going to apologize about that in like a week. 
But to me, it was a red card because of the contact with the referee in addition to whatever he said. The words themselves didn't do it. It was the contact and that and the fact that the entire Juventus team was around this dude. Um, and for all I know, he might have heard something that Benatia said and thought that Buffon said it. For all I know. But uh, Patrick, let me ask you a question. Yeah. If the roles were reversed, if Higuain was in the place of Vasquez and Varane did the same thing in the, in the Real Madrid penalty area, do you think that Michael Oliver would have called a penalty on, on that? I would hope so. I mean, in my mind, it would be a penalty either way. I would hope that he would make a call like that for the other side. I would hope. Because I think that's a foul. By the, both ways. By the rule yeah. of the law, he would yes. have. Yeah. yeah. But uh, you never know these things. I mean, there's always something at work. And I personally, like, I'm not saying this as a Juventus fan, but I really don't think if the roles were reversed and if it was in the other penalty area at the Bernabeu in Madrid, I don't think if Higuain was in that place, he would have gone that call, in my opinion. Do you think it would have been called if it was a different referee besides Michael Oliver? Potentially. It could have been maybe a more experienced referee could have maybe not called it at all because they know the heat of the moment. Who knows? Like if you say if you had Martin Atkinson, I know he was the sideline official, but if he was there or if the, you know, the German referee, I forget his name, but the guy, he's ref the, the several finals, would he have called it differently? Perhaps, but... I don't know. That's the problem with refereeing in this game because it's so inconsistent. And that's why people advocate for VAR, even though it's not perfect, but you get another set of eyes. And then after that, it, it, it's done. Like, you know, you have two people look over, look it over and that's it. But I mean, so I, here's, here's my thing about VAR though. So by the rule, I'm, I'm going by the, the rule book again, because in a perfect world, everything kind of goes by the rule book. And in the VAR description, it is, a clear and obvious mistake, right? Clear and obvious. So let's say Michael Oliver makes that call and then his assistant referee says, oh, no, 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 no. You got to take a look at this. You you have to, we're going to, the, we're going to VAR. So he does the little TV signal, which I just think is the funniest thing to see a referee do is make the little box thing and when everyone is yelling at him. So he goes to the monitor. And he looks at the replay of the ball comes in, Vasquez is going for it, but Natia runs up behind him, tries to kick around him. I, I have watched it I don't know how many times. I don't, I, he doesn't get the ball, does he? Am I, am I missing something? Because I don't think he gets the ball. That's the biggest problem. If Benatia had gotten the ball, we wouldn't be having, it would be such a much more straightforward conversation that it would not have warranted a penalty. I think that if he looks at that replay, I don't think there's a clear and obvious error. Obviously, it's not clear and obvious that there's a mistake because we can debate about it. Like, clear and obvious is like, that guy's offside, right? Or or the, uh, the Danny Welbeck. Or that uh, was a dog. Yeah. Or, yeah. you know, things like that. So if you look at it, right, you can form your own conclusion, but is it clear and obvious? And so Michael Oliver, having just had the cojones to make that call in that moment and give a red card to that player in that moment, which, by the way, I don't think that the time of the game changes whether it's a foul. And I don't think that Gianluigi Buffon's stature as a player changes his offense either, right? Again, I didn't think originally that the red card was for Buffon. I thought it was for someone else. But... 
if he looks at it, is it is it going to be reversed? Because it has to be clear evidence, like it, in the words of the uh, National Football League, indisputable evidence to overturn a call. Here's the thing, Patrick. Where's where you know, and I think you bring this is where you know I feel like I you know I have I have a good point to make about that is. I think that having the idea now, look, if you had if you have VAR in this situation, obviously without question the the officials take another look at it. I don't think it's disputable at all that they that they go into the, the you know little the little TV and stuff and they take another second look to see if they got it right or not. But I think what just having it, I don't think the call would have been overruled if VAR was available in this instance. But I think what it would have done was it would have kind of taken the pressure off the. Uh, official michael oliver it would have taken the you know a little bit of a sting or a little bit of less controversy involved because i think it would have said okay we made the decision we took a look at it it's a we got we got it right because i think you know you know, when we compare you know we're talking about italian teams here we saw it um in a perfect example the milan derby that how he carded it at first glance i thought he was on side it looked like a clear goal to the uh the, the goal that was rolled off but then when they looked at it he was just offside in the second. It was the right call, and even Inter fans were telling me, you know, they made the right call. I, there was no, there was no disputing about it. I think if they had the VAR, they're just having that available and knowing that we took a second look at it, we're sticking by this decision. I don't think there would have been much controversy because they took the look at it, they took another glance at it from all the available angles, and they still stuck with their initial ruling. So I think that's again when VAR has it. Not only the fact that like VAR. Because when they go to VAR, most of the time, they do get it right. Whether it takes five minutes for them to say, oh, that's clearly offsides, or that's clearly a dive, or that's clearly not you know, a foul, is another thing. But when they look at it, more times than not, they do seem to get it right, at least from what I've seen in Syria. Now, if it was just available in this situation, and they just said, you know, let's take another look at it, let's make sure we got this right, because again, of everything you guys just mentioned, with the stakes of the game, the tension, and the importance of a call... It would have taken the, it would have eliminated most of this controversy, and I think it would have been somewhat done and dusted. Although, again, given the situation, given the time it occurred, it would still feel a little bit, you know, of a heartbreaking uh, a situation, heartbreaking outcome for Juve, just given the fact that they had to go home now. But when you have that available, and you can say, you know what, we went to that extra look, we had another set of eyes, a couple set of eyes, from all angles, taking a look and saying, you were right with the first call it would have kind of alleviated some of the pressure, some of the tension that we're still seeing now and still having a discussion about. So I think that's what, again, VAR, it also brings that little bit of a calming presence. It can kind of ease some of that controversy, some of that pressure to say, you know what, well, we got to make sure we get it right or else, you know, we're, we're going to be, you know, face, we're going to be hearing it. When you have VAR there and you have that other set of eyes, that other look to kind of support your claim or, you know, overrule your claim of the initial call, then I think you know again you kind of limit you put you don't put yourself in this situation where now again the the the, the I saw on Twitter the um, Oliver's wife is getting death threats and threats from uh, you know Juventus fans and all that yeah. stuff so which is which shouldn't which and that's and that's another and that's another thing that would kind of alleviate some of this because you see it in other sports where a guy makes a wrong call or a fan does something innocently uh, you know and a guy gets you know getting abused for and I think that's something that would also help with VAR as well as alleviate some of that that uh that threats and stuff which shouldn't be happening regardless of you know the which fan base you are regardless of what happens one thing I definitely agree with is that we should have VAR in the Champions League given the stature of the competition one discouraging thing to me though 
and this was news that came out today, is that 14 out of, I believe, 20, I believe it's 14 out of the 20 Premier League clubs said that they will not implement VAR next year or voted to not implement VAR next year so that essentially it can get fine-tuned and then implemented possibly the next year. My problem with that is the only way to get better with the VAR system is to keep doing it, like is to use it, right? It, the kinks are being worked out in Italy and Major League Soccer right now. And so next year, it's going to be a lot smoother for everyone involved, except England. And England is the one with the most money. England is the one with a ton of influence. So I don't think we're going to see VAR in the Champions League soon, which is really unfortunate because I would like, again, I would like for them to take another look at things like this. <laughs> the fact that the fact that England, you know, a, t- a, a league that's probably it gets the most attention, has the most revenue, uh, the, the biggest re- uh, revenue stream, and has the most access, at least for us in North America, for them not to have VAR, for, but for Italy and Syria, a, a, a league that you know, is obviously having this reputation as being outdated, archaic, and everything like that, for them to have VAR is pretty funny to me, is, is that the, 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 that league is a little bit of a head with the technology side of things than Premier League is. For the first time ever, the city I actually had some technology for for the first time ever ever that's the first time <laughs> we're just getting HD in a, a ride yeah, so we don't even have <laughs> HD on we don't have even HD it's games. 2018 and we're finally moving on to HD and now we have instant replay before and La Liga England. doesn't even have goal line technology imagine that oh well that's just shocking I did I feel like that's been around since literally like the time of Jesus Christ anyway so uh moving on to uh the other it's it's really weird that we're moving on to the other European match when it is AS Roma at the Stadio Olimpico coming back from a 4-1 deficit against the FC Barcelona and winning 4-4, advancing on away goals, proving once again that if you lose but you get an away goal, you truly do have a chance it's weird that uh, Roma coming back and beating Barcelona to advance to the semifinals of the Champions League is the other storyline this week. But here we are because uh, Michael Oliver plus Gigi Buffon plus Cristiano Ronaldo uh, just kind of puts Roma into second fiddle. So uh, here we go. A legendary comeback by Roma and Daniele De Rossi. And just everyone involved, Eusebio De Francesco got it absolutely right. And Roma just outplayed Barcelona. And Barcelona has lost three matches all year long. Now make it four, and they're out of the Champions League. No, by the way, they haven't lost in La Liga. So what an incredible... Matt, I'll, I'll, I'll throw it to you first. I don't think I've seen anything like what we saw. We saw Barcelona come back against PSG last year, but that was less shocking because it was Barcelona. This is one of the monumental upsets in the Champions League, right? Oh, 100%. I think, you know, you know just to give you an idea of what I was thinking as I was watching this, um, you know, I was actually following on Twitter 
I was at work and I was looking at the feed and I was kind of getting a little bit of an update. And the beauty about having a smartphone in 2018 is that you can probably watch a little bit of the game. You get updates, highlights, and all that stuff as they happen. So I was getting a little bit of that while the game was going on. And I saw that, um, you know, from, from what I saw from a couple of the main accounts, were saying that, you know, Roma's coming out, they're pressing hard, they look well, they look, they look strong. They kind of bring, implementing that same type of, attitude and that that the demeanor like they did in the first game but they look a little bit more polished a little bit more on it if you will and I saw you know as the Jekyll goal came in and the penalty with Jekyll got dragged down by PK that Rossi converts all of a sudden I'm thinking to myself I'm like are, are Roma gonna do this like you'd think a team like Barcelona would come out in the second half and find a way to kind of steady the ship calm things down and ultimately get a result maybe a narrow one maybe barely squeak by Roma and kind of kind of you know forgive and forget and move on to the semifinals but Man, hats off to Roma. Shout out to all, all Roma fans listening. I think, you know, again, obviously you guys know I'm a Milan, Milan fan. And, um, you know, but it's great to see a team like Roma who, you know, they've been forced to sell some of their big players over the years. Mohamed Salah specifically, who's still in tournament with Liverpool. Yet they, they're, they're making a deep run this deep in the tournament and have to get past, you know, constantly being overlooked, if you will. Again, they had a group where they were with Chelsea and Atletico Madrid. Chelsea, the reigning Premier League champions. Atletico Madrid, a, a team that consistently f- uh, features in this tournament, makes deep runs, and is also a regular um, you know, uh, contender for the La Liga title, overthrows both of them, tops their group, gets past Shakhtar, who some p- thought they were going to be upset by them. Of course, they get to Barcelona, and people feel that uh, they don't have a chance, especially being the F4-1, they're done. They get into this game, they come roaring back, I mean... I couldn't believe what I was seeing with this team. And it, it felt like a, it was like a, it felt, you kind of felt in a way, and it was unfortunate, but you kind of felt like wished it was a final to see a team down this much. The kind of like a, you know, a David and Goliath type story and to come back and make it happen because it had all the makings of a final. When you really look at the goals they scored, Kostas Manolas getting the header, the decisive header. And then, you know, on Twitter, you see the, uh, the, the goal, this is better in, t- in the Titanic music. It had all the makings of a final, but man, what an effort by Roma. What a great job by Eusebio Di Francesco keeping his team motivated, keeping his team believing in themselves for this match because in the first game, two own goals, um, they, they definitely probably should have gotten a little bit better, uh, deserved a little bit more from that first leg. But man, I when I when I did an article on this, I was saying, you know, if they're able to just sort of carry the same attitude, the same approach to the second leg and polish some things, tighten, you know, tighten the screws a little, if you will, maybe they can get something here because, you know, from what I've been listening to at Barcelona in previous weeks is that they weren't looking as strong as they, they should. Yeah, of course, they beat um, Leganes in the league on the weekend, but overall, you know, Barcelona looked like they weren't as sharp as they should have been in this tournament and what the talent they have on the field indicates they should be, um, uh, should be able to do on the pitch. So when they were, when Roma were able to pull this off, it was surprising for sure, but I wasn't shocked that Roma came out with this mentality, this this energy, this motivation, and this this passion. And I think that's what ultimately, in my opinion, made the difference. Yes, the, the tactical adjustments that Di Francesco made were phenomenal. He went with a nine goal on behind two strikers, Patrick Sheik and Jekyll, and I think that was a big factor in this. He was able to you know, bring the game to them, and it really forced forced Barcelona to have to react versus teams having to react to Barcelona. So I think again. Hats off to Roma for what they were able to accomplish. And again, they're going to the semifinals. And it's it's crazy to think that, you know, maybe we do see um, Roma versus Liverpool. Maybe we do see Salah, you know, facing his former club. But just want to make a quick point. 
two American owners slash ownership groups remaining in this tournament. Um, of course, with Liverpool, John Henry, Tom Warner, they head up Fenway Sports Group. Um, they're all actually the owners of Boston Red Sox. And then you have James Pelota, an American from Boston, is the owner of Roma. So just to get a little bit of more context is that what we're going on here is that. So this should help. This should help the tournament get a little bit of uh, American media attention as well, just for given the fact that these uh, ownerships have that background. So we said last week that they were fighting and um, down 4-1 in the first leg and that Roma deserved more and that they needed to, to prove themselves to have like a huge effort uh, in this match, and they did. And uh, there's been you know quotes recently uh, with the Spanish clubs, uh, Fabio Capello in, in, in particular, the former coach of Roma, and Juventus, um, saying that in Spain they teach technical skill, and in uh, in Italy they they just teach tactics, and that's why Spain is is crushing Italy for uh, that has been for the ten, last ten years. I think this game proved um, that tactics. If you have a good set of tactics, you can beat anybody in the world, and that tactics are key to any football match globally. Uh, Di Francesco went out with a, a very bold, very ballsy 3-5-2, and he played the perfect game to absolutely swallow that Barcelona midfield. The three center backs and that bolstered midfield, they swallowed up that uh, Barcelona midfield. The bodied them, were physical. It took Lionel Messi, arguably the greatest player in the world, one of the greatest of all time, out of the game, invisible. And uh, no one, it's it's so hard to do that. Not many teams have ever done it in the last 14 15 years never mind Roma who's in fourth place in Italy the same Roma that's never really achieved anything further in Europe this was their first quarterfinal in 10 years and they came out and beat Barcelona who were many were 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 choosing as the favorites of the tournament and they came out they had the balls they had the skill they had the grit to come out and win and they had the heart and they had that amazing crowd behind them 70,000 people at the Olimpico. It's a shame that we see it, you know, weekly in the Serie A. It's empty, over, you know, 60% empty. But when it's full, I don't think there's a team in the world who will find it easy to beat Roma at a, at a sold-out Olimpico where the the crowd and, and the atmosphere is one of the best in world football. They had the whole city, all Romans around the world behind them, and they did the impossible. 3-0, man, uh, just an incredible win. Good for Roma, good for their fans, uh, good for them because they're a cash-strapped team. Unlike Liverpool and and uh, Real Madrid and Bayern, these these are rich clubs. Roma, you know, they're in the financial fair play penalty. Uh, they cannot spend a lot of money. They don't have a lot of money. They don't even have a shirt sponsor for God's sakes. And maybe maybe with this semifinal appearance, maybe they can finally get one and have some revenue coming in because they deserve to have uh, better than than what they've had and. Good for them. I hope they go all the way. Uh, I'm not a Roma fan by any means, but I hope that they, they go out for the league. And I think this win is not only important for Roma, but for Serie A as a, one between the two games between Roma and, Laz and Roma. Well, Lazio, no, but we'll get to them in a minute. But uh, Roma and Juventus, they showed, I think, this week that Serie A is back and that they can go toe-to-toe -to -toe with anybody in the world. And I think this this is going to be a, a game that they will show teams like Napoli, teams like uh, Inter and Milan, whenever they decide to get their act together, that they can go out if they grow some balls and if they play smart and play to their ability and believe in themselves, they can beat anybody and that they can go far in this tournament 
and and go and make something of themselves internationally on a global scale. Roma are going to benefit huge by this win. Um, they're getting recognition globally for this, and that's only going to help them in the long term. And I hope for them because they've got the right management, as you guys said, the American ownership groups. They know how to run a team. They just need more money. And they've got a great sporting director in Monchi from Sevilla. They just need more money. And the things that they can do with their new stadium coming up in, in a couple of years, the sky's the limit for this team. And I really hope that to, to see them progress even further. And um, I wish them all the best going forward. And uh, it's, it's beautiful to see an Italian club other than Juventus pull up their pants and actually perform on, on this stage, on the grandest stage of all. And I think we can all agree that this week in Champions League football confirms what we've already known, that soccer, football, culture, whatever you want to call it, is the greatest sport in the world, bar none. There's nothing in the world, no sport on this face of the earth, that can compare to the drama and to the stakes that we've seen in the last three days. I don't care. I know the NHL and NBA playoffs are starting, but that doesn't compare. To, that's that's nothing. That's kindergarten shit <laughs> to compare to the, the Champions League. Like, this is the greatest tournament in the world, and Roma came out. Roma beat Barcelona. Take sink, Let that sink in. I know we talked about Juve a lot uh, earlier, but what they accomplished is historic and good for them. Bravi. I was just about to say, wait until Roma gets their new stadium, and wait until this summer when Monchi gets an entire full summer to work his magic under Jim Pilotta. They had to sell Mo Salah because his contract was running up. He asked to leave, and financial fair play was breathing down their necks. And now look where they are. And Rudiger. Yeah, and Rudiger. Yeah, and they almost had to sell Manolas. Palmieri they sold to Chelsea, although he didn't play that much. And even they were close to possibly letting Dzeko go. And Leandro Paredes, remember yeah, him? Exactly, to uh, Zenit. Yeah. I mean, they had FFP breathing down their necks, and... A stadium situation that was up in the air. Now they have approval for the stadium, and they're going to get tons of money out of this, plus the recognition that you mentioned. And I remember a couple falls ago, and we'll we'll move on. I was in Rome watching in a restaurant as FC Barcelona spanked the living daylights out of Roma. This was in the uh, in 2015 in the fall. 2015? Yep, 2015 fall. I was watching in a Roman restaurant. Oh, the the playoffs yeah. against yeah. Uh, Porto. I sat behind a couple of older Italian gentlemen who once like the third goal or something went in. They just put their drinks down and they said in Italian, "Screw this, man! This team sucks!" And then they walked out. To see where they are now, absolutely incredible. I am an AC Milan fan, but I will go ahead and support Roma through the rest of the Champions League. I hope they can pull it off because, you know, then I think we're talking Leicester-esque odds. If, uh, if anyone's a betting man, go ahead and put a couple bucks on Roma, and if they pull it off, thank me later. Uh, just to wrap up, Serie's uh, European week, which was full of a bunch of highs and uh, a bunch of lows. Uh, it's it's fascinating that a week ago we were talking about how all of the all of the matches are decided with Roma being down, Juve being down, uh, also City being down, and Sevilla wasn't going to pull it off against Bayern, and then Roma completely turns it around and Juve had it until added time. Then we go to Lazio, who 
uh, I, I still I still can't believe it. In the first leg of the Europa League uh, quarterfinals, they beat Red Bull Salzburg 4-2. And of course, as I mentioned before, the two away goals kicked their butts because today they decided to choke as hard as they possibly could and lost 4-1 having scored the first goal, giving up four consecutive goals, including three in the span of seven minutes, losing 6-5 on aggregate and allowing Salzburg to go ahead into the semifinals of the Europa League, joining the likes of Marseille, Arsenal, and Atletico Madrid, who are going to go ahead and win the tournament. Wait, you're saying Arsenal doesn't have a chance? No way. No, I am saying that, as a matter of fact. And uh, Arsenal fans, if you're listening for some reason, you can at me, at Stoll underscore P. I will go ahead and take your criticism, because Atletico Madrid will beat Arsenal in the final. Book it. So, also, while we're talking Twitter handles, at Matt underscore Santangelo, at Joe Antonio C, and at Italian FD. And by the way... If you have any feedback for the podcast, please let us know. Uh, shoot us a note. Shoot us a DM. You know, find us, tweet us, do whatever. Uh, we're always looking to make this more fun, a better experience. So if you have any feedback, uh, things we can improve on, um, a platform that we haven't experienced, some media idea that we haven't done yet, throw it at us. We are completely open to feedback. So please let us know on Twitter, however you'd like, just please. And also, please leave a review and subscribe uh, if you haven't already. Uh, so Lazio went ahead and choked it away. Um, real quick, guys, I'm shocked. I don't think Lazio was going to win the thing, but I am absolutely shocked that they pulled a complete disaster class against Salzburg. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, just real quick, I, I was, it's funny, I was following a little bit along. I saw the score was 1-0. I think he mobile they had the first goal. And I was like, okay, they're up 5-2 on aggregate. This looks pretty comfortable. And then I even then when I saw Salzburg get a, uh, get their uh, their goal, goal to make it 1-1, I was like, all right, you know, they still have a day. Listen, Lazio had an away goal. They, they should be in good shape, right? And then all of a sudden... I'm Famous at, last words. All of a sudden, I'm at the gym, and I see, um, you know, a, a message from uh, one of our guys on the staff, and goes, wow, Lazio actually bottled this. And I'm thinking to myself, wait, what happened? Like, what's going on? And I threw on my Who Scored app, and uh, I saw the three goals in a span of, again, whatever, six, seven minutes. And I'm like, really? It's it's so uncharacteristic of, of or it's so, you don't expect it from a team like, uh, from Lazio and a team that's coached by Inzaghi, who, yeah, maybe they're not the strongest team defensively. I think there are obviously most people associate them with being more of an attacking, a really attacking heavy team. I think they actually lead Serie A in goals. But Man, to, to squander that, it, 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 that's rough, man. I, I feel for a team like now, for Lazio, I think if they were able to get past this with the attacking talent they do have, with the coaching uh, uh, acumen of Inzaghi, you really felt that they were a legitimate, legitimate contender to win this thing. I think you know, based on everything that we've seen with them this year. For, but for them to blow it, that's... Oof, I, I don't know what else to say, man. I mean, like, you know, they were it was 4-2 last week. Um, and the one thing I really liked about Lazio uh, was that they actually tried really hard in these European tournaments and they in the Europa League they really really gave it their all and uh, to see them lose 4-1 like I can't believe it. I just can't believe and I saw the goals uh, they were the, the word like poor goaltending and silly stupid mistakes in defense 
I mean, I can't believe like you had a four-two lead. They could score the goals. They had a full lineup, and they still somehow managed to to bottle it against. With all due respect to Salzburg, I mean, an Austrian team like come on, give me a break. I know they beat Borussia Dortmund, but Lazio had this. They should have won. And Chiro Immobile scored, but the, I mean, and he's got 38 goals. We talk about everybody talks about Mohamed Salah has 39 goals. Chiro Immobile has 38 goals, but when it matters for the national team or for Lazio, he's just a born loser, and he cannot get the he, teams. Anybody with Marco Parolo, who who is quoted as saying uh, after the game, we were arrogant and we thought the game was over when we were up one nothing. Why are you, of all people, Marco Parolo, arrogant? You guys have proven nothing. You guys Have you learned nothing from from Roma and, and Juventus who were hungry from minute 1 to minute 97 uh, in, in the case of Juventus? Like, they were hungry for the full time, and these guys thought they could just— this, this team, away from home, they're playing in Austria. They think that this home team, after all they've—after all you've seen this week, you think you're just going to let up and— and, uh, and uh, think that they can't come back we, this is the week of comebacks and they got burned and they got what they deserve and i hope that they um they just you know they regret this and then i think you know players like that they change their roster because you can't win with losers like marco parola and you can't win with a big loser a giant l for chiri mobile who's just i don't care how many goals you score and i've said this many times over the podcast 38 goals means nothing you don't show up in the big games you hold your l because you're a loser Period. Well, tell us how you really feel, Joe. <laughs> on that note, I don't. And Joe drops the mic and walks away. Um. So, I mean, agreed. I mean, we've already seen that Mo Salah is a big game player for club and country. I just want to make that that clear for what he did for for Mohamed Salah did to carry Egypt to the World Cup and what he's done for Liverpool. Again, we look at Immobile. He really didn't show up much of anything or show much of uh, any type of scoring form that was uh, you know like what we've seen with Lazio and he didn't do that for the Azzurri when they needed him most so again you look at this match again he had a good tournament I think there's you know it goes without saying but you couldn't you can't really can't let your team blow that in my opinion especially when you're the the it guy on the team you just can't let that happen sleeper pick for the world cup Egypt it's it's gaining momentum guys write it down um, anyway, so last thing before we wrap up, and again, thank you for listening to the Italian Football Daily Podcast. Two big matches this weekend. One, Napoli-Milan, and two is the Rome Derby with the third and fourth place, Lazio and Roma, who are tied on points, uh, separated only by goal differential. They are facing off at the Olympico. Real quick before we wrap, predictions, Napoli-Milan. Joe? I, honestly, I think it's going to be a draw. I think Napoli, they've got to win, but I think Milan, they're not a bad team, and I think they're going to give their all uh, in this match. And as a Juventus fan, I'm hoping that we can wrap up this uh, the title earlier than, uh, than, than the last day. So we gave Serie A a little bit of a scare or a little bit of hope this time around. So, uh, But I think we'll wrap it up by May 13th, I think. So... Uh, I it would it would I'd love for, for a little bit of help from Milan, but you know all all bias aside, um, I do think they're Milan have enough to, to at least tie the match. For Milan, if if they have the very slim chances of making the championship, they've got to win. So I think that's why they're going to come out hungry and ready for the win. And Napoli, I think, will still be prepared. But um, 
I think it's going to be a pretty good match, but I think in the end it'll be a draw. I'm going to agree with Joe there. I think it's going to be um, a very tight game. I think that Milan are going to have, especially being at home, I think they're going to that's going to help them a little bit versus the game that they played against Napoli in the reverse fixture early on in the season under Montella. Um, remember that guy? Um, no, they were down 2-0 to Napoli. Of course, Romagnoli scored a late goal to make that 2-1. And I think, again, it goes without saying, Milan are a better team under Gattuso. So I think they'll come out fighting in a big game like this, which they have been doing in, in against bigger opponents um, under Gattuso. So I think, again, it's going to be a 1-1, maybe a 2-2, but I do think it's going to be a draw. I think it's going to be a very exciting game as well. I agree with you that I think it's going to be a really good game, but I cannot shake the feeling that Napoli are going to pull this one out. I agree with you, obviously, Milan are a better team than they were the first time, under whoever the hell was managing Milan at the time. I think Napoli win. I really do. I think it's going to be 2-1, and I think it's going to be closer than the score reflects, Uh, but I do think Napoli get a win. Um, Lazio-Roma, again, both are tied 60 points apiece. Uh, who you got? We'll start with you, Matt. Whew. Oh man, this is this is a, this is an interesting one because of, again where the teams are um, or what, what what results they're coming off in European tournament. Obviously, Roma's riding high with the victory they had. Lazio are in, down in the dumps, obviously for blowing such a big lead. I, I think this is going to be a draw. I think the with the way Lazio bowed out in the Europa League, I think they're going to have to come back and respond. And I think a team like under Inzaghi, they're going to do that and they're going to play a much better game. Um, and as for Roma, I think they're going to continue. I think they're going to Roma. Both Roma's going to play a very good game as well. I think it's just going to be a classic Roman derby, and in that, it's going to be back and forth. It's going to be one of those smash mouth games where you know there's a, it's it's fast pace. It's going to be a lot of back and forth. I do think it's going to be a two two draw. Um, but I think again, off the Roma's in good shape in the league. Lazio looks like they need, um, you know, they, they could also obviously compete for a top four as well. So a draw would be a pretty good result for both teams to take all things considered. For myself, uh, first of all, Derby della Capitale is one of my favorite derbies in Italy. Uh, the two teams both really hate each other. And for the first time in a long time, they, they're neck and neck for, uh, for the Champions League spots. Uh, as you mentioned, Matt, uh, Roma's riding at a, at a high uh, still on that high uh, after beating Barcelona and Lazio's uh, crushing defeat today. You know, it could go either way. It could be a fact that Roma gave their all uh, midweek and that Lazio need needs to rebound quick. Uh, I expect Lazio to put in a good showing. And despite my criticism for Immobile, he has been lights out for them in, in the Serie A. Um, I expect him to score and I expect Lazio actually to pull off uh, pull off a win. I think they're actually going to, to go out. I'm going to be bold and say that. And uh, I think they want. I think they need it more for their Champions League hopes. Uh, Roma. I mean, I think they're riding on that high, but I think they gave gave a little bit too much during midweek, which is okay. But I think Lazio will just edge them, and uh, I'll be. I'm more curious to see what's going to happen outside the stadium because usually this derby, because of the violence in the past, they don't play it at night. But this is going to be in prime time, 8:45 p.m. at night. So. Uh, probably expect a couple stabbings in the uh, Piazza Navona or in the Spanish Steps. So there's probably will be bloodshed. But you know what? That's why we love the game of football. That's why we live for this. And uh, that's why Calcio and Serie A is the most interesting league in the world, in my opinion. Oh, boy. There are going to be riots, all right, in the streets of Rome. I'm picking Roma. Roma's winning this game. They're going to ride their hot hand. They're also going to ride their one more day of rest than Lazio. Uh, and the fact that they did not have to travel back. Roma played at home on Wednesday. Lazio played in Austria 
on Thursday. Roma is winning this game. I'm going to say it's going to be either, uh, I think it's going to be 3-2. I think it's going to be 3-2 Roma uh, because I, I can't think that Lazio is going to get shut out. So I have a Roma win. Joe has a Lazio win. And Matt has the draw. So no matter what, the IFD podcast is going to get this game right. Guys, thanks so much for joining me. Uh, Matt Santangelo, Matt underscore Santangelo, and Joe Sirocco, Joe Antonio C. Guys, thanks so much. My pleasure. Take it easy, guys. For Matt, for Joe, for the Italian Football Daily staff, I'm Patrick. Thanks so much for listening. Again, you can find all our work on ItalianFootballDaily.com, at ItalianFD, at Sol underscore P, at Matt underscore Santangelo, at Joe Antonio C. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you next time. Ciao for now. Thanks for tuning in, guys. That's nothing. That's kindergarten shit.